Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. The road to God in heaven is the person of Jesus Christ. There is no other road that one can travel if one wants to know God and in knowing God, as Jesus says in John 17, He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So the road to heaven, there's only one way to heaven. I remember in the early 70s when I was a youth pastor, the kids in my youth group would hold up this sign, one way. And everyone knew what it meant. There's only one way to God, and that's through the person of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to look at today is the importance of that person, Jesus, as it relates to our relationship to God. We're going to begin by looking at verse 1. I'm going to make my way through this passage of Scripture. And notice what Jesus says to the apostles. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. Do you think Jesus Christ is one that you can trust as it relates to the troubles that you find in your life? Of course. In the book of Psalms, for instance, the 138th Psalm, this is what David writes. He said, Though I'm in the midst of trouble, you deliver me from them. David lived. We think of him as being such an awesome guy, and he was. He was mightily used by God. But he was a man who lived in turmoil much of his life. He was the maker of his own trouble, but there were others who contributed to the pot of trouble that he oftentimes found himself in. The Bible also says, and these are the words of David as well, it says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear the Lord to deliver them from trouble. Wow. David understood that, and it still is true for us today. If we fear the Lord, the good news is that we will be surrounded with the protection of the Lord Himself. And so when we think about this command, stop letting your heart be troubled is actually the better rendering of this command that appears first in 14. And then it goes on to say in verse 1, keep on believing in God and keep on also believing in me. Trust God. Jesus is ultimately trustworthy. And the men to whom he first addressed these words were understandably in an uproar. Because Jesus has just told them in the last part of the 13th chapter of John that he's going away and where he's going, they cannot come. They were disturbed because they had bet the farm literally on Jesus and following Jesus. In fact, in Mark 10, this is what Peter said, speaking quite frankly on behalf of all the other apostles 
within earshot, he said this, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. They had left everything. They had abandoned the future in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he's pulling the plug on his presence in their lives. But Jesus, very wisely, as always, told them to put their faith in God, and not just in that moment, continually. As I read and translated a little bit of this, keep on believing in God and keep on believing in me. Did these apostles have a history with Jesus that would really recommend being people who put their faith in Jesus? Can you think of things which happened in their presence and how Jesus demonstrated His great power? The one that comes to my mind immediately is the one that was set on the Sea of Galilee. And you'll recall this ferocious storm came out of apparently nowhere. It was not uncommon to have these kinds of storms on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus of all things, was napping in the bottom of the boat. And these men, many of him who made their living and had never remembered a day in their lives that they had not been doing something on the Sea of Galilee. They lived on the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum. But what happened was they were bailing water as fast as they could, but they were losing ground. And finally, in frustration, they woke Jesus up and said, We're drowning. Are you going to do something? It was almost a rebuke to Jesus, as if He were not interested in them. Do you think Jesus knew that they were in trouble? And Jesus knew this was an invaluable lesson for them to realize that as long as He's in the boat, the storm won't last forever and the boat won't sink. If Jesus Christ is in your life and in my life, When trouble comes, the thing we are to do is exactly what Jesus says to do. To put our trust in Him. Other things that these men saw Jesus do, remember by now, there are only 11 of them. Judas has gone to betray Christ. But what else had they seen Jesus do that would recommend putting their full faith in Him? Well, they'd seen Him raise Lazarus from the dead. It's recorded in the 11th chapter of the book of John. There were other times when He raised people from the dead. They had seen Him give sight to the blind. They had seen Him to give strength to legs which were withered. They had seen Him help a man who was dumb. He couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. Deaf and dumb. And they had watched Him do a miracle and give Him His ability to hear and to speak plainly. They had seen all these things. And I'm not their critic. I probably would not have been doing as well as they were doing. But you know what I mean. Do you ever kind of panic when you have something difficult come into your life? And I'm not criticizing you if you do. I know I do. Sometimes I act like I've never heard of Jesus Christ when something difficult enters my life. But the good news is, for you and me, we can train ourselves based on what God says. God will never command me or you to do anything that He does not provide the power 
to do. So when he says, stop letting your heart be troubled, you can command your heart to quit being troubled. You say, what are you talking about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. In the book of Psalms, the 94th Psalm, in the 19th verse, the writer of that Psalm says this, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. And the man who wrote that obviously was a spirit-filled man because he would never have been given the right to put the Word of God in a psalm. So it's not uncommon for us to have these moments of anxiety. But the thing that he learned, the psalmist, which he's passed on to us through the Scripture, is that God's consolations delight one's soul in the midst of difficulty, trouble. Going to Psalm 103, which is a parallel passage. In 103, David, the psalmist again, says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Now, pay careful attention. He sits his soul down and he tells his soul to bless the Lord. What's another word for blessing the Lord? Praising the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. He had to sit his soul down and give his soul a good talking to and remind his soul that God is sovereign. God is a good God. And Jesus Christ, his son, who is the God-man, has promised us that He is going to take care of us in the midst of trouble. This passage that we are entering into, we started a couple of weeks ago, it's called the Upper Room Discourse. These were the last teachings that Jesus gave to the apostles. And thank God the Holy Spirit brought them to mind when John the Apostle wrote the Gospel of John so that we could have this as a guideline for us when we encounter trouble. The last verse of John 16, verse 31, is the last part of this upper room discourse, this teaching in the upper room. And this is what Jesus said. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. Be sure, Jesus says, that in this world you have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world. Who is the ruler of this world? The devil is the ruler of this world. Has Jesus overcome Satan? By all means, he's no match for Jesus. And that same Christ who said this to these apostles, his close associates, men who had given their all to follow Christ, they were in a crisis of faith and He reminds them who He is. Remember who I am. Believe in Me. And we need to remember the same thing. Now, before I forget it, I'm going to go ahead and say this. probably would fit somewhere else in the message maybe a little better. And if I repeat myself, just consider the source, okay? But this is what we need to know. That we can count it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance and we're to let endurance have its perfect result so that we may be mature, lacking in nothing. 
I hope you understand that you would never grow spiritually without having trouble. There is a brand of Christianity that ignores so much of what the Bible teaches. I dare you, when you read through the Bible the next time, to circle every reference to trouble, every reference to affliction. And remember, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, one more time, I'm appealing to David now. The Bible says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. But we neglect the next verse. We love that one. I love it. I've memorized it no telling how long ago because I've been crushed in spirit before. And I've taken great comfort. And when I meditate on that, it's such a relief. But the next verse says in Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions. Now get this. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. That's interesting. But the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. Because you and I may find ourselves in a place of difficulty, what we need to realize is God has permitted it. God turns the table on the devil and he takes that difficulty if we relate properly to God in that moment, remembering who he is, and we tell our souls to bless the Lord. David did it twice in Psalm 103. didn't stop simply by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He goes on to say, a second time, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. A quick remedy for you and for me when we find ourselves in a very difficult situation. We don't know if we're going to come up the third time. We feel like we're drowning in a sea of difficulty and sadness and trouble. Remember what God says. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And Jesus Christ Himself knew exactly what He was speaking of. Because early in the Gospel of John, in the 12th chapter, He says, My soul is troubled. He uses the identical word in both places. His soul was troubled. Was that a sin for Jesus to get His soul troubled? No, it was not. But how do you think he kind of got himself together? Well, he believed in God his Father. That's how. He knew that the Father and he had made the plan of salvation when Jesus was in heaven before he became a human being so that he could secure our salvation by becoming one of us, never sinning. One thing he came to do was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what 1 John tells us. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And one of the favorite works of Satan in Hebrews chapter 2 it's talked about is to strike fear in our hearts. And especially as it relates to death. To be afraid to die. We need to understand that we have no fear in death because of who Jesus is. And let's read a little further here. He expounds on this. In verse 2 he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. The word house would be the rough equivalent of an estate. And what an estate it is. Heaven is so beautifully described in more than one place in the Bible. It's interesting, however, in Jesus' teaching here, He doesn't speak about 
the ornamentation of heaven. He does not speak of the fact that the streets are made of gold or the gates are made of pearls. It's a beautiful description that's given in the book of Revelation and other places in the Bible. That's not to say he's saying there is no gold pavement and there are no gates of pearl. What he's saying is the most important thing in heaven, about heaven, is that we will be with God the Father and we will be with Jesus Himself. In fact, all of this teaching, you know it. He says, I'm going to go to my Father's house. There are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus has a place for you and me, ready for us when we meet Him. In verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, notice the repeated use of I, the personal pronoun in the first person, singular, I. I go and you, I and you. Jesus is interested in the individual. He's got a place designed for you and me. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. This is the same word, parousia, in the original language that is used to describe the second coming of Jesus. So he's talking here about his second coming. I will come again and receive you to myself. As I was preparing this message, I've taught on this many times before, but one of the benefits of being a person responsible for teaching is that there's always room for more learning. I hope you understand that. And I learned the word which is translated receive you to myself is a word that's used, for instance, in Matthew 1 after Mary and Joseph have been married, then Matthew says that Joseph took Mary away to his home. That's the idea here. When Jesus comes again, he's going to take us away to our home, our home in heaven, which He's prepared for us. Can you imagine how wonderful that's going to be? And do you know what the best part about it is? It's that we'll be able to communicate face to face with Jesus. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, the Bible tells us this, when we see Christ when He comes again, instantly we're going to be just like Him in every way, spirit, soul, and body. We're going to have a body just like His, what Paul describes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 15 as a spiritual body. Those words don't even go together, do they, in our thinking? A body is physical. Spiritual body. Think about the body of Jesus in His post-resurrection appearances. He could just show up out of nowhere. And He could leave as fast as He came and was gone. He could go for long distances places. I think that's what happened to Philip in a way when Philip was preaching the gospel and people were coming to Christ just by the scads coming to know Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit transported him from that great revival of people getting saved and took him on an out-of-the-way road to an Ethiopian eunuch. And lo and behold, what was that eunuch doing? He was in his chariot sitting there and he had a scroll and the scroll would be part of what we call the Old Testament. And he happened to be reading in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And so Philip 
walked up to him. He probably was talking a little bit to himself. I'm not talking about Philip, but the Ethiopian. He may have been reading out loud and he may have been saying, I don't understand this. And so Philip comes up and says, I might be able to help you with that. And then he began to explain that. The Lord just took it's Philip to do that. And God used it. Just like Jesus would come and go. That's the way we're going to be in heaven with the Lord. And end of verse 3, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants our companionship. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven, by the way, do we? He wants that closeness to us all the time. He invites us to come and have fellowship with Him, to honor Him in our hearts. Look at verse 4. And you know the way where I'm going. Now here's the first time Jesus uses of three times in this brief passage of Scripture the phrase, the way. When a New Testament writer was wanting to modify a concept and let the reader or the hearer know that the thing that he's saying is exclusive, in this sense, the way, there's only one way to know God. There's only one way whereby we can go to be with God in heaven. And that is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Now, Thomas was not doubting here. We know he's called Doubting Thomas. At least he was asking questions. Some of us just don't ask questions. He was inquisitive and he was asking a very pertinent question. We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? The way, notice that. And then Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Christian message of salvation is the message that's found here in this verse, in this passage. Jesus is exclusive when it comes to the way to know God. And aren't you glad He is? It's not because He's trying to keep a, a little neat club going and a manageable group as opposed to scores and thousands of people. Not at all. He would not be limited in that setting at all. But what He's wanting us to understand is we have to go through Him in order to be saved. Why? Because all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In other words, would be a turnoff par excellence to God the Father. If we tried to get right with God with our own good works, forget about it. We would never. If we had a hundred lives to live and we worked harder every one of those lives, we get to the hundredth life and we still fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because there has not been something that's been done in our innermost being because the Scripture says before we trust Christ alone for eternal life, we are dead spiritually. No life. But what Jesus says here, let's examine this a little more fully. I am the way. The word way is a word in the language of the New Testament. It's really the word road. Remember what I began with 
the road to heaven is through Jesus Christ. We travel on his back, actually. We cannot get there on our own. We can only get, not even partially, we can't contribute anything to our salvation. A dead person can't do that. We're dead spiritually. Then Christ comes by His grace. He reveals Himself to us. Jesus, by the way, according to the Bible, is full of what? Grace and what? Truth. The truth is in Christ too. He says, I am the way and the truth. This world is filled with lies, isn't it? And we should expect it. It's already been established in this moments that we're spending together that Satan is the ruler of this world. And according to Jesus in John 8, Satan is the father of lies and everything he does is deceitful. Everything. And many times he does it under the guise of being a spokesman for God. This is why there's so much warning in the New Testament about false teachers and false prophets and false apostles and false Christs. Amazing. The devil wastes no time postponing trying to deceive us. But the truth is found in the person of Christ. But the good news for us is, in addition to that, the truth is found in the Word of God. In John 17, 17, the Bible says this, sanctify, Jesus is praying to the Father, sanctify them with your truth. The word sanctify means set them apart for your use. That's why we are saved. We're saved to be in sync with the Lord Jesus Christ and be part of that vast number of people who have found their way to Jesus and consequently found their way into the grace of God and the Lord wants to use us. Sanctify them by your truth. What did Jesus say the truth is? Your word is truth. God has given us the word of God. Amazing, isn't it, to think about what we have in our relationship to the Lord. We have the road to heaven. We have the truth so that we can understand who God is. And God's Word is flawless, the Bible says in Proverbs 30, verse 5. It is flawless. Every word of God is flawless. So we don't have an unreliable document. We don't have time to go into an apologetic teaching about the trustworthy of the documents which we know is the Old and the New Testament, our Bible. When you look at that from a purely scientific way, textual criticism is the science of evaluating documents of antiquity to determine what reliability we can find by putting all those fragments together. The New Testament alone outdoes all the other documents that historians depend upon to understand ancient history. Herodotus, Thucydides, Caesar's Gallic Wars, and on and on. Those are so scant and so ragtag compared to the Bible. But the good news is, even if we didn't have that information, there is a truth to the fact that the Word of God resonates when we read it with a heart to hear and to learn. It 
speaks volumes to us. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. This is good news. There are two words, you probably know this, in the New Testament language for life. One has to do with biological life, physical life, and the other has to do with spiritual life. That's the one that Jesus uses here. That should be no surprise. It's used throughout the Gospel of John. It's not limited to John. It's not limited to Jesus himself. In fact, this is what Jesus says. In, I mean, that Paul says about Jesus. He says in Colossians 3, 4, he says, Christ is your life. If I have life, it's by virtue of the presence of Jesus Christ in my life life. He is the one who gives us the ability to know Him, to know God the Father through Him, and to be used by Him. And we have the privilege of owning Bibles, and they are given to us not for window dressing. It makes a good Christmas present. There's probably hardly a person in this room who has not received a Bible for Christmas sometime. But it's not just for window dressing, is it? It's for us to receive it, ask God to speak to us, pray the prayer of the psalmist when he says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law, i.e. your teaching, the Torah, the Word. And God answers that prayer. Let me make a few more comments about this matter of the way, the truth, and the life. First of all, the truth is necessary, I mean, excuse me, the way is necessary for going in life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. The word acknowledge actually in the Hebrew language is yada which means know. In all your ways, know the Lord. What would your ways be? It would be anything you do in life, whether it's domestic or professional, outside the home, church-wise, anything we as followers of Christ, the Bible gives direction. Try the book of Proverbs on for size. That's just one place. It's full of wisdom. And it's ours who know Christ for the taking if we read it and we ask the Lord, Lord, help me with that. It is that which is necessary to help us to go in the name of the Lord and grow in the name of the Lord. Then what about the truth? Why, of course, Jesus helps us with the truth. In the book of 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says that the natural man, this would be an unbelieving person, could be a brilliant person. Do you understand that our being able to access the truth of the Bible and understand it has very little to do with intelligence? You've got to be intelligent enough to read the Bible. I heard a story told by a man, and it's verifiable. He was an Ethiopian. His tribe was comprised of 100,000 people. He was a witch doctor's apprentice. And the witch doctor controlled him. And the thing that the witch doctor did when he came into his house in his village as he was training him, he got a big bowl 
And then he said, I'm going to bring you a large supply of liquor. I want you to pour all that in to this bowl and keep the bowl filled at all times. And when you get a message from me, and it was a telepathic message, when you get a message from me, I want you to go and drink what I tell you to drink out of that. And so that made life miserable in that home. There was a curse that he put on that man's wife so she could not get pregnant. I'm talking about the witch doctor on the apprentice's wife. But somehow or another, one child slipped through the cracks. If there was a child born, they would not even give a child a name for this reason. Because they were afraid that the name would be taken and there would be a spell cast on that child and the child would die. So the guy who tells the story, he, by the way, when he told the story, he was working for Campus Crusade for Christ. He came to the U.S. and studied, I believe, in Georgia, probably Georgia Tech, got his Ph.D. in some field of analytics, whether it was computers or engineering. I don't remember that detail. But nevertheless, he came here and he told the story at Coronado Country Club to about 10 people who gathered there. And this is what he said. There came two men, two strangers, to their little house in that village. And they were the most unusual people that had ever been in the village. They were Caucasian. And they said they wanted to speak to this witch doctor, apprentice. They were introduced to him, and they shared the gospel. And the son, who was the only living son, was about five or six years old, and he listened to everything that was said. And this son asked Jesus to come into his life. This boy came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So did the dad. The father came to Christ. The mother came to Christ. Now here is part that is phenomenal to me. What happened? This man who was the apprentice witch doctor had a face-off with the witch doctor and he won the face-off with him. But he was walking on the stream that flowed by this village where they lived. And one day he was walking and he saw something on the ground. He picked it up. He couldn't read a lick. He couldn't read any language. He picked it up. And lo and behold... He could read it. Now this sounds far-fetched, but let me finish the story. He could read it. And it's the only book he could read. Even other books in that language, it's the only one he could read. And what happened was, he began preaching in his own village, and then he began throughout the tribe, and before his life ended, tens of thousands of his people had come to Christ. Now, I tell that story because the truth will set you free. Jesus overcame illiteracy and miraculous, miraculously gave him, that man, the, the ability to do that great work. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from Jesus, there is no real life. There's no real living. I mean... I'm not being critical of anybody and I'm not bragging that I have this life. I, there, I have nothing to boast about in anything, really. The Bible says 
we're not to boast, period, except in the cross of Jesus Christ. We praise the Lord for who He is. But this idea of the life, He gives us His life. The Apostle Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Jesus is the only way. Have you ever had someone say, or you've overheard it on media, how arrogant those Christians are? Where do you get off saying that you know the way and only people who embrace Jesus Christ are people who are going to heaven? We have that to deal with, don't we? Of course we do. I want you, to, as I finish this morning, to envision a cross, just a cross, and think about the vertical part of the cross, pointing to heaven. Let's say that represents, I'm not saying it did in the mind of God, but just for a moment, let's say it represents the relationship with God in heaven. And it speaks of how we have to go to heaven. I'm talking about not go there personally, but ask God in heaven to save us. And we know He does that. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. There's only one name and only one way that we can be saved. That's through Jesus Christ. Amen? And we know that. But let's say what speculate a minute, and it's not speculation, this is an accurate inference from what we've looked at today, that Jesus is exclusive in as far as it has to do with how one gets to heaven. Only one way. Jesus is the way. No man comes to the Father except through me, is what He says. Nobody, no person. And Jesus has secured our salvation. But on the horizontal part, this has to do with our fellow man. We know Jesus Christ should want to share the good news of Jesus with others. Not to get a feather in our camp, cap, but to help them come to know the good news. On Friday, Pastor Gus and I were together. We had a meal together. Then we went to Savers. Do any of you ever go to Savers? It's my favorite place to shop. I go there. The books are cheap, you know. And so I was telling Gus about it. We went down there. And as we walked in, we went in separate cars. We walked in. There was a man sitting there. And I passed right by him. And then Gus said, Sir, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I stopped right there and walked right back. And I was listening to this, you know. And so he, he, he gave some answer. It was a lame answer. He probably tried to put us off because I could tell he was not all that interested. So what we did, we went and Gus bought a Bible and we paid for our books. We came out and we gave the Bible to him. We showed him the Gospel of John 20, 31, which gives the reason for the writing of the Gospel of John. And the reason is so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We don't know what happened to the man, but it was really a nice Bible, by the way. Leather-bound the best thing about it was only $4. It was phenomenal. But 
Gus sees the day. Last night, when I was going home, I was going to the General Dollar store. And the reason is because I can get things cheaper there than I can even at Walmart. It's amazing. So I go in there, and I was wanting a lady, the manager, in there. There was not much traffic in there at all. And I took this can of Kickstart, and that's not motor oil, by the way. That's, a, that's a, some kind of low-level energy drink. And I said, would you, would you do a price check for me? She said, yes, sir. And I had already noticed on this lady, she was the saddest-looking lady, a beautiful young woman, really. But she was so sad. I knew her heart was burdened. And so I was thinking, I need to talk to her. But she wouldn't want to talk to old men like me. So I got my stuff and I picked them up and I said, I'm going to talk to her anyway. And I said, may I pray for you? And she began to cry right there, began to cry. May I pray for you? And I said, is there someone in your family who is ill? And she said, yes, my daughter, Gianna. And so right there we prayed for her. And please remember this lady. We're praying that God will heal her daughter and it will be another way that when I go back in there, I'll be able to check and we'll share the gospel with her. This lady is ready to receive Christ, I believe. And there's so many of those people in El Paso. I don't know about other parts of the country. This city is ripe for the gospel. And we who have Christ, we can, in our awkward way, sometimes we don't know how to do it. You say, I don't know how to do it. Well, you just have to look in the Gospel of John and show what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then the Lord will guide you to go to other places in the book of John. It's full of information about eternal life, isn't it? John 3.16, most of you know that, right? We can share the Gospel with people. They're ready for it. They are so ready for it. Now the truth is, we are, we who know Christ, if we are steadfast in our belief and we share our faith and we stand for the truth, we are going to be ostracized. We're going to be criticized. You've got to get a little tough skin and not become hard-hearted and become retaliatory toward those who would say ugly things about you or me because we're Representing Christ, aren't we? And believe it or not, some of these people who are the hardest core are the people that the Lord has targeted to receive Christ. I know it. And we just need to be loving toward them. Don't back down. Share the gospel. And be willing to be called intolerant. Be willing to be called a fanatic whatever that means to those people. And just love them. Love conquers all things, doesn't it? And we have Christ in us to love other people through us. If you're here today, I want all of you to look at this, if you will. Matthew 7, as we finish up. Matthew 7, 13 and 14, read this way. These are the words of Jesus. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There's that word 
our phrase, the way, same one we encounter, same person humanly speaking it. Jesus is speaking it here in the Sermon on the Mount. And after all, both places, the most basic meaning of the word translated way in the New Testament is the word road. So let's just insert the word road there. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. You know, have you ever seen footage of lemmings in the Arctic circle and they're just running headlong into the sea, committing whatever lemmings do when they go to their death? That's the way the world is, just scurrying around, trying to find a solution. And they're running off into the sea and drowning the sea of sin. Verse 14, For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. Same word that's used by Jesus when He describes Himself as the life. And few are those who find it. Are you one of the few who have found Jesus? Really, He found you. You didn't find Him, but it doesn't matter. Whatever language you want to use, the Bible says about Jesus, He came to seek and to save that which is lost. If you are, praise the Lord for it. And then start latching on to what Jesus says. Stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. And the result will be that He will use you, not unlike He used the apostles in sharing the gospel, but if you don't know Christ, today could be the day of your salvation. Have you sensed in your heart that you need to give your life to Christ because you're empty? Because there are things in your life that you've tried to overcome in the field of misbehavior, sin, that you have yet to overcome? There's one way, and it's Jesus Christ. To trust Him for what only He can do because He's purchased a place in heaven for you by dying on the cross, taking your punishment for His sin, then being raised from the dead so that you and I could know Him and have eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for this day, for the opportunity to worship You with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I just pray that You would speak to every heart here no matter where we are along the spectrum of relationship to You. We ask today, Lord, that today we will not forget what You say, that You are the only way. And it is a wonderful way. Oh Lord, thank You that the only way to really have life now and especially forever is by trusting in You. Thank You, Jesus. Amen.